0: It's Friday. Paycheck Friday. And you know what that means. The weekend is about to be lit. All you have to do is cash your check and it's on. There's just one problem. You live in one of the many sections of Baltimore City where traditional bank branches are scarce. And for any number of reasons... From reliance on public transportation to lack of a state issued photo ID or smartphone, you aren't a traditional bank account holder. That means no direct deposit and likely no savings account. But of course, there are other solutions, and those seem to be present on every other Baltimore City block, with neon blinking signs and awnings with big bold letters, the check cashing place, the payday lender, the prepaid mobile and bill paying spots. But using any of these solutions means losing a sizable portion of your hard-earned dollar. Check cashing companies and payday lenders can charge upwards of 18 to 20 percent in fees for their services. And over a series of months or years, this could mean thousands of dollars in lost wages. There are historical reasons why this rut of predatory financial services has become so well-worn. Segregation limited which banks would allow black consumers to open accounts or acquire loans toward mortgage, business startups, and other needs. Over time, Baltimore's black communities responded to those restrictions by founding their own traditional bank institutions. But in 2016, just one of those banks is still standing, the Harbor Bank of Maryland. And despite its commitment to maintaining locations in communities bigger national chains won't touch, there are still scores of families in the city that are unbanked and underbanked. That kind of financial insecurity gives the phrase living paycheck to paycheck an even more dire meaning. And every dollar Baltimoreans lose to check-cashing facilities is one less dollar we can spend lighting up the weekend. For WEAA 88.9 FM, I'm Stacia Brown, and this is Baltimore, The Rise of Charm City, Episode 9, Banks for the Memories. When we started to ask questions about Black banking history in Baltimore City, three names came up in each conversation. Ideal Federal Savings Bank, founded by a single family, the Lansy family, in 1920. Advanced Federal Savings and Loan Association, founded by Dr. Winfred O. Bryson, Jr. in 1957, and the Harbor Bank of Maryland, which opened in 1982. But as it turns out, Black Baltimore's experiences with traditional banking systems date back much farther than that.
1: My name is Philip J. Merrill. I'm the CEO, founder of Nanny Jack & Company.
0: We met with historian and antique appraiser Philip J. Merrill to discuss some of the banking artifacts in his collection as well as his long-term research and observations about personal finance management trends in the city. Mr. Merrill is the author of the collectibles blog, Old West Baltimore, and can be seen on Maryland Public Television's Chesapeake Collectibles. He told us that before we could discuss black-founded banks like Ideal or Advance, we had to peer a few more decades into the past.
1: First of all, I think you need to think about the role of black women, where um, the matriarch in the house that controlled so many different things, she also could control the money. Um, If Papa had money or Grandpapa or somebody, they gave it to the woman, and she could hide it out in the house. Uh, Often it was hidden um, under the mattress, in in the refrigerator, and even outside in a can in the ground. So we always kept a certain amount of uh, cash on hand historically. When the praises go up, the blessings come down. It seems like blessings keep falling in my lap. It's Before the advent of traditional banks, you also need to look at the role of tithing at the church and the various ministries that these churches had. And in Baltimore, East Baltimore, West Baltimore, South Baltimore, you had a plethora of denominations, whether it be Baptist, AME, Episcopalian, Presbyterian. Baltimore has been a hotbed of dealing with financial literacy, just not in the traditional realm of uh, banks like we know today, like Bank America, PNC, Wells Fargo, Harbor Bank, and, and so forth.
0: But there was one traditional bank project founded in Baltimore just before the turn of the 20th century, Lexington Savings Bank, which opened in 1896, spearheaded primarily by a recent college graduate, Everett Waring.
1: One of the founding members of the Lexington Savings Bank saw in D.C. while he was attending Howard the Capital Savings Bank, which was a very early black bank in D.C. So what does he do when he leaves Howard? He comes to Baltimore and, and establishes the Lexington Savings Bank. For a short while, things went well with Lexington. Because if you're talking about 1896, that's pre-1900, you had um, significant doctors, lawyers, educators, clergy, Uh, on the board of trustees for this bank and investing that then would open up the door. When you see that your pastor has a connection to this bank, you're going to put your money in this bank. Or if you see that a very influential black doctor or an educator and, and the like has money or is connected, then you feel safe to put your money into that bank. But of course, it got caught up in a scandal and went under. That
0: scandal involved bank president Waring's alleged embezzlement. It reached a fever pitch when receivers forced open the bank safe and found only $28.72 and some promissory notes, including one in which Waring vowed to pay himself back $7,000. Waring claimed to have struggled to keep the financial institution afloat, often using his own funds to supplement losses. Lexington Bank stockholder Reverend P.H.A. Braxton told the Baltimore Sun. The failure of the bank will be a great blow to the material interests of the colored people of Baltimore. Its successful management would have demonstrated their ability to conduct business affairs and would have marked their progress. I fear the contrary effect now, and it may be years before the community recovers from the effects of the failure. In truth, it would take over two decades for another Black-owned bank branch to open, though successful businessmen like Harry L. Wilson, an insurance mogul, did try founding banking startups in the
1: interim. Ideal opens in 1920. It's a big deal to go into the bank uh, on a Thursday evening to cash your check or do whatever from, from the domestic work that you were doing. Um, and that was a family-owned and operated bank.
0: Tico Wallace-Lanzey founded Ideal to help black families secure mortgage loans in Baltimore City when no one else would lend to them. It opened on Thursday evenings because that was the only time black domestics were given the evening off. In its early days, Ideal doubled as a social gathering space where cards were played and drinks were served, and a financial institution. There was just one branch of Ideal Federal Savings and Loan, and it was at the corner of Druid Hill Avenue and Wilson Street. It stayed there until 2010, when it was closed by the Office of Thrift Supervision. At the time, it was still being run by a member of the Lanzi family, Yvonne Lanzi, Tika Wallace-Lanzi's granddaughter. But what about the middle-class black communities in Baltimore? If ideal was primarily for domestics, where did the city's white-collar professionals and entrepreneurs do their banking? Mr. Merrill showed us checkbooks from the early and mid-20th centuries. They answered that question. Every time it rains, it rains
1: it's from heaven. Frank A. Simmons, um, for maybe 40 to 50 years, was the leading wallpaper hanger and painter in Baltimore. He was so skilled that he painted uh, both black and white-owned houses. Uh, He did work at the Afro. He did churches and schools. And you can see his checks are not on a black bank. He did not put his money in a black bank. And others didn't as well. So we have a bevy of checks. From black businesses and black families through the decades, and it's fascinating to see who banked with which organizations, via black or via white.
0: In the years between Ideal's founding in 1920 and the opening of the next black bank, Advanced Federal Savings Bank, 37 years later, other non traditional forms of banking began to take hold.
1: And here is one of the youngest pictures you'll see of Little Willie Adams in 1941. Little Willie Adams was an entrepreneur who ended up backing a lot of businesses when they could not get traditional loans from banks. You could go to Little Willie and he would finance it for you. Uh, He may get 51 percent and then get a a, a part of your gross. But nonetheless, you could now go into business when you couldn't walk
0: in. You may recall hearing the name Little Willie Adams from our Dahman episode. In fact, Mr. Adams' name comes up in countless conversations recollecting the history of black Baltimore especially as it relates to finance, real estate, and entrepreneurship. According to a biography of his life released in May 2016 titled, They Call Me Little Willie Adams, Mr. Adams got into the numbers running game at the age of 16 and quickly grew his under-the-table, unofficial lottery business by leaps and bounds during his 20s. Like Harry O. Wilson before him, he was a man who used his personal wealth to invest in Baltimore's underserved black communities. His branch of financing was just one early non-traditional banking system in Baltimore City. The wheel of fortune
2: goes spinning around
1: The other part of what I call banking, and I didn't bring this today because I was running out the door, uh, is the role of the pawn shops. The pawn shops allow you to get cash. So... If you think about it, um, and we have some pawn shop receipts from the 1920s and and 30s where you're hard up for cash, you you pawn your shoes, you pawn a pistol. If you're a musician uh, in the Black Union, Local 543, you pawn your, your trumpet or your guitar or banjo, and the pawn shop gives you instant cash.
0: Mr. Merrill's pawn shop comments got us thinking. We don't hear much about pawn shops in Baltimore anymore. How popular are they in 2016? Our search turned up one of the longest standing pawn shops in Baltimore City, Northwestern Loan Company, on Pennsylvania Avenue, just one block north of the business we featured in episode one of our show, Shake and Bake Family Fun Center. When we visited Northwestern Loan, we met with current owner Rick Sussman, who inherited the business from his father, who inherited the business from Rick's grandfather, who founded the shop in 1919.
3: We have tens of thousands of customers, and and one of our proudest accomplishments is that many of our customers are children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren of former customers, and we really like that. We're actually a number of businesses rolled into one. Uh, What a pawn shop typically is, people bring in an item of value, and we give them money for that, for holding the item, and then they come in and and redeem the item. And so the primary function is that we allow people to uh, get cash uh, short-term for for their items. Um, A lot of our customers are are incredibly appreciative, and it's almost kind of a burden. They say, we don't know what we do without your service uh, in the neighborhood. Uh, We provide a service that Uh, traditional banks and financial institutions don't really touch.
0: Mr. Sussman, who also serves as president of the Pennsylvania Avenue Merchants Association, says that the neighborhood, which is predominantly black and very low income, relies heavily on non-traditional financial services like Northwestern Loan.
3: There's a lot of of check cashers. There's a lot of utility bill payers. Pawn shops are, are relatively... Uh, rare in Baltimore. Um, we've always tried to attract banks, and it's it's difficult. It must not be profitable for them because they uh, evidently uh, the transactions that they do here in a neighborhood like this are generally smaller type transactions, and they don't have the financial return, I guess, that a that a bank is typically looking for.
0: According to an FDIC national survey conducted in 2013. of Baltimore's population is unbanked, meaning they don't have traditional bank accounts, and 25.4% are underbanked, meaning they may have traditional bank accounts but still rely heavily on services like the ones Mr. Sussman's shop provides. For context, the national average of unbanked households was 7.7% in 2013. Baltimore's percentage nearly doubled that, the city's percentage of underbanked residents also exceeded the national average by 7%. That may be unsettling news for the city, but it ensures a level of business stability for the Sussman family. They've been at the same location on Pennsylvania Avenue for almost 100 years, and their shop is still stocked to the gills with electronics, musical instruments, jewelry, and other tradable goods. So far, we've heard a lot about nontraditional banking in the city of Baltimore. Next up, we'll hear from the chairman, president, and CEO of the Harbor Bank of Maryland, the city's last black bank standing. You're listening to Baltimore, the rise of Charm City, on your source for cool jazz and more, WEAA 88.9 FM, the voice of the community. We were founded in 1982. We stopped by the main branch of Harbor Bank of Maryland last week and spoke with Mr. Joseph Haskins, Jr., the bank's chairman, president, and CEO. For over an hour, Mr. Haskins generously shared a wealth of information about the history of minority-owned banking institutions and of Harbor Bank specifically, as well as his goals for the future of the business.
4: Harbor Bank was formed as sort of a outcry coming from the community following sort of the Active revolutionary period of the late 60s, early 70s, where um, this country was going through many social changes and issues. And it was believed by many that the reason that more progress had not been achieved, uh, especially on the
0: economics front, is because there wasn't um, an availability of capital Activists believe that the non-traditional banking systems on which the city had grown so reliant were impeding long-term financial gains for its residents.
4: When we talk about um, those kind of businesses that leads to economic growth, they're those that need to have borrowing capacity or an opportunity to borrow funds. Uh, so a group of uh, early organizers Um, thought that uh, one big achievement that could be had
0: is the development of a commercial bank. But that would take years, and in those early days, Mr. Haskins was working in New York where he began his postgraduate banking career. But he joined the organizing effort as soon as he returned to Baltimore.
4: The positive is that we got it done. The negative is that uh, 90%
0: of the people who were part of the original one, uh, I asked to step down. He says the original planners were well-intentioned but underexperienced with the inner workings of banking.
4: They weren't the right mix because a bank is a business enterprise and you had too many civic types and social workers and those who were
0: well-intentioned, but they weren't really business people and it is a business enterprise. Mr. Haskins began learning how to look at the big picture and bottom line during his time as an undergraduate at Morgan State University, where he studied economics. One of the professors in the department was Dr. Winfred O. Bryson Jr., founder of Advanced Federal Savings and Loan Association, the second official black-owned traditional bank in Baltimore City.
4: Dr. Bryson was uh, a pioneer and uh, was sort of at the front edge of financial organizations that had a relevance. Um, A very credentialed um, uh, man, and um, and when we look back, one of the few African Americans to earn a doctorate out of the Wharton School, um, I believe, back in the 40s.
0: It's important to note that banks like Ideal and Advance were savings and loan institutions, focused more on empowering Baltimore's black community to own homes and start small entrepreneurial initiatives, than on large scale lending to corporate institutions. At one point in time, savings and loans were present in many predominantly black communities across the nation. Mr. Haskins says that's changed drastically in the past 16 years.
4: Somewhere around 2000, um, there were about 48, what we call MDIs, Minority Repository Institutions. And uh, today they're about 19. And, um, and so there has been a decline Unfortunately, what occurred with um, integration and with civil rights acts and bills and so forth and greater opportunities is that you had less concentration of those who had resources in the community. Banks really are institutions that essentially manage risk. No matter how smart you are, you can only buck the trend but so long you've got to be able to manage through the risk and if you're not you're going to be penalized for it and the penalty can sometimes be extinction
0: i asked mr haskins how harbor bank has managed to weather the rocky risk management challenges that have beset baltimore city especially the recession of 2008
4: Hmm. With great difficulty and i will tell you that uh That was probably the most humbling experience in my business life. Uh, We were fortunate that we did not suffer one loan loss with subprime. And I'd like to say it was out of being smart and intelligent and all that sort of thing. We knew that there was a problem with the subprime space and had sort of exited that activity about two years before the crisis hit. We knew there was a problem there. Uh, We didn't realize it was at the magnitude that we've since learned that it
0: was. I should interject here for those unfamiliar with how hard the subprime mortgage crisis hit Baltimore City. Subprime mortgage loans are granted to borrowers with poor credit histories, and in the simplest terms, because of the risk involved. They're granted with an interest rate much higher than the prime interest rate. When the national recession hit in 2008, many Black homeowners in the city whose mortgages were subprime lost their homes. There were 3,909 foreclosures in Baltimore City that year. In 2009, the number nearly doubled, with 6,213 homes foreclosed. The city's median property value dropped by $10,500 between 2007 and
2: 2012. Well, Wells Fargo will soon make a big payout to Baltimore City. The company has agreed to settle a lawsuit claiming that it engaged in predatory lending practices targeting minorities. As 11 News reporter Kai Reed explains, Baltimore will receive millions of dollars.
0: The numbers were so staggering that then-Mayor Sheila Dixon filed a federal lawsuit against Wells Fargo, a bank with a particularly egregious subprime lending record to borrowers in Baltimore City. Eventually, Wells Fargo settled with the city of Baltimore and other cities where black borrowers with subprime mortgages were disproportionately foreclosed. An award of $17.5 million was granted to the city of Baltimore and $2.5 million to 1,000 area residents who were affected. Though Harbor Bank avoided that crisis, they still suffered great losses in the aftermath of the recession.
4: Well, we took our biggest hit was in our commercial real estate space. Uh, Again, we thought we had been pretty um, smart and prepared in that we had um, required many of the developers and those who were financing commercial projects to have more equity invested the point right before um, the announcement of that major uh, catastrophic moment, which was in September of uh, 2008, when the financial systems around the world almost came to a halt, Um, we were requiring um, real estate investors to have 25 and 30 percent equity involved and we said okay fine if things go bad we'll sell at um 80 cents on the dollar and we'll get our money back i'll have to be honest to say i thought i had us covered however uh we weren't selling at 75 and 80 cents on the dollar we were getting out at 40 and 45 cents on the dollar
1: over the past few weeks many americans have felt anxiety about their finances and their future I understand their worry and their frustration. We've seen triple digit swings in the stock market. Major financial institutions have teetered on the edge of collapse, and some have failed. As uncertainty has grown, many banks have restricted lending. Credit markets have frozen, and families and businesses One have
4: found- fact that Harbor had been a conservative lender uh, all along, we didn't have the same level of risk exposure in our portfolio as some of our colleague um, bankers did. Mr.
0: Haskins also credits other Harbor Bank programs that remained profitable for his ability to keep the company afloat.
4: And so I had set up a special CDE, Community Development Entity, it was a for-profit one that we did specialized financing through a New Markets tax credit program. And so that remained profitable through that period. And as a result, I was able to take profits from that entity to help subsidize the bank and keep it stable.
0: Harbor Bank of Maryland has proven to be incredibly resilient in the face of financial adversity. And up next, we'll find out more about its plans for the future, as well as the ways in which Baltimore City's next generation of workers can strengthen their chances at long-term financial solvency. You
1: ain't never going to fix what you can't face. So listen up, Uncle Sam. Here we stand with this 150-year-old check in our tired black end. There's nothing else to talk about, nothing left to say, but cough it up, America. It's check cashing day.
0: You've been listening to Baltimore, The Rise of Charm City on WEAA 88.9 FM.
1: Okay. So, uh, uh, <laughs> so I gave them-
0: Despite the prevalence of short-term financial solutions in Baltimore City, we figured there must be some countermeasures in place to instill savvier banking and spending habits in young Baltimore City residents. Our research surfaced several nonprofits doing that sort of financial literacy work, and one of them was Aisha DeCosta's I Am Okay, a three-year program that teaches high schoolers the principles of investment.
2: Well, I'm OK is a not-for-profit based here in Baltimore that uses entrepreneurship and investing to prepare children for college. We teach them about budgeting, uh, investing in stocks, real estate, business franchises. And from that perspective, I think it lends them to be interested in how they can bank um their money.
0: Ms. Costa says that sometimes the tenants I Am Okay teaches can be difficult for some students to grasp, especially if no one is talking to them about money at home.
2: There's a, there's a saying that wealthy people think decades and generations ahead, and that shapes the actions that they take currently, where um, poor people think day to day that's a hard leap for some of the kids. We're working with our students about going to college debt-free, which is, you know, our stated objective. We have them look at themselves as investments and when they are pulling together their resumes or their transcripts to look what things do you need in this package to present yourself as a worthy investment and the investor, the college or the scholarship, what is it that they're looking for from you and what does your documents say about you? I think that the issue with banking in black is that people don't understand why it's important. You know, and it's funny when we have catastrophic events like um, the death of Freddie Gray. Everybody remembers Harbor Bank when they need someone who is focused on this particular community because the black banks, they're community banks, that's their charter. So um, they're whole reason for being is to serve the community around them you know but even though they exist in the open many few few people know that they exist right so it's upon the individual to really understand the value of doing it and going out and 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 harbor bank you know kind of tooting their own horn you know a lot of people don't know that they exist or that they are a black-owned bank they don't know that
0: Mr. Haskins told us that among those who do know and use Harbor Bank, he's seeing less race-stratified business these days.
4: Fortunately, with millennials, they don't really see race the same way. And I got fathers and sons who are totally different, and they get into arguments uh, because the dad remembers the race issue from 35, 40 years ago. The sons and daughters really don't care about it
0: because they're in this more diverse world. He also says that technological advances in banking have eliminated much of the foot traffic in most bank branch locations. Online banking can minimize awareness of which banks are black-owned and which are not. Mr. Haskins gave us an example about millennials looking for mortgages online.
4: If you're looking to buy a home and your home is, and your and your home uh, uh, number is a hundred thousand dollars, just for example, and. This bank is offering 5% and this bank is offering 4%. Well, you're not really concerned about where you get the 4%. The fact is, as you're saying, well, I'm saving $1,000. And so that's real money to me. And click, that's where you go. The most significant uh, point of pride is our length of existence. We're now 34 years old. When we were organizing, I was told that it would never happen. I was told when we opened the doors it wouldn't last two years. And told if it lasted two years, by five years, we would be a faint thought in the minds of most. And finally, at the 15 year point, people stopped uh, predicting our demise. Almost every major development that's gone on in this community, we were at the forefront. Whoa. When you look at the first money that was put in Boston Street before there was a Canton, other than the canning companies, we were financiers in that. That's over 20-some years ago, uh, close to 30. Those boat slips that were done, we were in the financing of that. When you look at South Baltimore, um, the old Vaudevillian Theater that's just north of the Cross Street Market, we were the finances of that. The South Baltimore General Hospital, we were part of the financing and converting that. So we were there. I'm a product of the 60s, and so the questions are, and the questions that surface was, was or is it uh, possible that an African American can run a financial institution, which is a complex in- institution, and be successful at it. And um, and so I think I've dispelled
0: all of that. Mr. Hawkins believes that Harbor Bank can continue to be at the forefront. I believe that too, given what the bank has already weathered. He says that keeping a pace with technological trends will help and that any community bank hoping to stay afloat in the 21st century should do the same. This is especially true of black banks and of Baltimore City residents too. When people know their options as consumers, they can make strides toward escaping the predatory lending and check cashing cycle. Baltimore has a long way to go toward that goal. But if Harbor Bank's resilience tells us anything, it's that this is a city capable of bucking the odds. This program is produced by Stacia Brown and brought to you by W.E.A.A. 88.9 FM as part of Finding America, a national initiative produced by A.I.R. with financial support from the Wincote Foundation, the MacArthur Foundation, the Ford Foundation, Artworks and the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Baltimore, the Rise of Charm City's field production team includes Ali Post, Mavish Raza and Marsha Jews. Theme music by Mark Gunnery for the Center for Emerging Media.